This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On September 7th, 1997, Final Fantasy VII launched in the United States, a game that many have argued to be the best game of all time, further popularizing the genre into the mainstream. In this same year, a show that helped transform a genre would be in its final season. And even though he didn't know it at the time, this week's guest working on this final season would ultimately play a major role in transforming fantasy football from just a bunch of nerds to being mainstream in America. This show, well, let's just say I had one of my favorite characters growing up, Mr. Al Bundy. Welcome to Fantasy Football Origin Stories, where each episode is a journey back in time to explore the unique experiences of some of the coolest and most influential people in the fantasy football industry. I'm your host, Arnie Chapman, also known as The Football History Dude. Now, I love fantasy football, and I want you to come along with me to explore the yesteryear of the armchair gridiron. So hop on board my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time to step up the DeLorean, the date is September 6, 1997 at the Green Bay Best Buy. We're camping out, waiting in line to be one of the first to grab our copy of Final Fantasy VII, presumably releasing at midnight, because back then that's kind of what they did. They release them and you'd actually go to the store, you wouldn't just download it. We're sitting there, and next to us, we got a bunch of rowdy Green Bay Packers fans walking through, throwing some shade on us, calling us nerds and everything, talking about how this is going to be our year, and they can't believe that in Green Bay, we're wasting our time in this game. What a bunch of nerds, they say. Well, these fans were actually on their way to the airport to fly over to Philadelphia because the Pack would be taking on the Eagles the next day for week two of the 1997 NFL season a season that actually found success for the Cheeseheads. However, this ended up in the Super Bowl, losing to John Elway's Denver Broncos. But really, we probably should have called them the Terrell Davis Broncos because TD Terrell Davis had one incredible season. He was actually number two fantasy scorer that year in 1997, only behind, yep, we discussed this previously, Mr. Barry Sanders. But speaking of the Packers, Dorsey Levins was number three scorer, Brett Favre was number four, and Antonio Freeman, number eight. The rare occurrence where if you were just a homer and took these three guys in your fantasy football draft, you would have been taking home the Lombardi trophy. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Not the Green Bay Packers Lombardi. It's the fantasy football Lombardi trophy this time. And that brings us to this week's guest and how we're going to tie it all in. Because this is the year where this week's guests work on the last season of Married with Children, and happened to also be in a fantasy football himself. Again, what a nerd at the time, right? But thanks to his time working on Married with Children as a writer, coupled with his passion for fantasy sports, events would transpire over the course of the next two decades, transforming fantasy football from something that only nerds would talk about to something that would be mainstream and possibly even more popular than the sport itself. Now, this week's guest needs no introduction especially if you listen to a fantasy football origin story. His name is Mr. Matthew Barry, now with NBC Sports and formerly of ESPN fame. That's right, the talented Mr. Roto. Now, my first experience of Matthew Barry, we kind of talked about it just a little bit briefly in the interview, is sitting there, cutting the lawn, figuring out what this podcast thing is all about. I don't know, probably 2008, 2009. I don't know when it was back in the day. Got to type in and figure out what this podcast is. You can listen to anything you want, like just by searching for it. Okay, well, bam, boom. Let's, uh, fa- it's, it's summertime. Got to figure out my fantasy football roster. Let's type in fantasy football. And up comes ESPN Fantasy Football Focus. And there you go. Matthew Berry, leading the charge. Of course, I followed them all throughout. But enough of my stories, right? You want to hear from this week's guest himself. So let's get into this interview with the talented Mr. Roto. <laughs> going to use this little thing right here, this little DeLorean. We're going to go back in time and let's just start right off with it. Um, let's go back to the time when, what's the first memory you have of just fantasy football playing? Fantasy football. The first memory I have of fantasy football playing, because it's not my first fantasy sports memory, but my first uh, memory of fantasy football playing is 
college. I, uh, I got invited to a league with a bunch of guys that I went to college with. I was probably like a sophomore or junior. And I remember drafting Cordell Stewart. That's the first thing I remember. Who was like, it was like a quarterback, but you know, slash, if you remember, and the whole thing. And so, uh, and I, I had Marshall Falk. I remember that being a good year. I had Marshall Falk and Cordell Stewart. Um, yeah, that probably worked out. Yeah, it worked out all right. So that's my first memory. And we played on CBS Sports Line. I have memories before then, obviously, because I was a big fantasy baseball player starting when I was 14 years old. And I was in college, I was like probably 19 when I started playing fantasy football. Um, yeah, 19 or 20. I mean, that's kind of where the whole talent of Mr. Roto and everything started, right? Because of the baseball and the rotisserie and all that kind of thing. It started because of Roto World, um, honestly. So, you know, fast forward, played a lot of fantasy sports as a kid, loved it, really got into it after college, started joining a ton of different leagues. I was in a bunch of leagues with kids that I went to, uh, uh you know, college with. I was still in a, I was in two baseball leagues with, um, my original leagues that I, you know, that I was in from 14 years old, an AL, an AL and NL only league uh, that played by the book. You know, I was in a couple of leagues with, you know, people that I met through uh, Hollywood, like, you know, on, on uh, you know, through business or whatever, what have you. So I was in all these leagues and really got into it. And I was working as a professional writer in Hollywood at the point. And so there was like leagues of writers. There was leagues that have kids I went to college with, leagues with, you know, uh, people that I went to high school with, so on and so forth. So I'm in all these leagues. And I'm in Roto World all the time. I'm on Roto World. And Roto World at the time is advertising. This is back in the days of AOL, of CompuServe. You had to dial up to get to the internet. You know, you've got mail. That was like a novel thing back then. Uh, you know, ooh, I've got an email. It's so exciting. And uh, Roto World was actually advertising for fantasy writers. They were like, we're looking for people to write. And I had, you know, because this is a fantasy-specific podcast, I'll, I'll go a little deeper here, uh, Arnie, and say that, you know, I had actually tried. I had tried to get a job as a writer with KFFL, if you remember that old site. Um, it was a fantasy football site back in the day. Ended up selling to... Um, to a group that ended up getting sell sold to USA Today, and it's sort of, I think it's dead now. I think it got shut down. Um, but I tried to get a job with KFFL. I tried to get a job with Roto News, which is now Roto Wire. Um, I talked with uh, I talked with the guys at Masters Ball, um, uh, which had this distribution deal with SI. Try to get a, a talk to them a little bit. But in essence, um, so I was sort of bouncing around. I would try to get a job with the Sporting News. So I'm, I'm telling it out of story. I tried to get a job with KFFL. That failed. I tried to get a job with Sporting News. That failed. And so my third attempt was Roto World. And Roto World was advertising for writers. And they, you know, and so I wrote them a note. And I said, listen, I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood. I write for TV and movies. But uh, fantasy sports is my passion. And boy, I think it would be so much fun if I could write a column on the side that I could be a uh, you know, an expert for Roto World. Could I, could I try out? Could I send you a sample? So they wrote me back the next day and they said, we looked you up on IMDB. So they looked up to see if I was telling the truth that I was, a, whether I was a legit uh, Hollywood writer or not. They said, we looked you up on IMDB and Married with Children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired. So because Matthew Puglio, the late, uh, not the late, because he's still with us, the, uh, the great, FSWA Hall of Famer, Matthew Pugliot, who does a great job still at Roto World to this day. The great Matthew Pugliot, who was running Roto World, you know, because he was a big Married with Children fan, he hired me to write a free column for Roto World. And so I was trying to come up with a nickname for myself. And I was like, I wanted a nickname. And all the, nick all the columns on Roto World at the time were all these sort of very generic names. First and 10, Red Zone, Goal line stand, all these sort of, you know, just very kind of, and I was like, I knew I was going to write multiple sports. I was going to write basketball, baseball, and football for them. And I wanted something that made me sound like an expert that sort of branded me versus just this kind of like, what does that mean? Goal line stand, you know, first and 10, whatever, you know, double dribble was like one of the basketball comps was over and back. I think like, it's all very generic. And I wanted something that made me stand out and made me sound like an expert. I remember talking to my then wife. And I was saying, like, I need something that sounds like an that makes me sound like an expert because no one knows who the hell I am. But it needs to. But I also I want it to be funny and sort of over the top, so that they know I don't take myself too seriously. 
and I had all these terrible names. Like, and and because I was writing for Roto World, I thought Roto should be in the column, in to, in the title. So I was just like, you know, Doctor Roto, Mister Roto, the Roto Czar, Lord Roto, the Roto Whore. Like, I tried all these different names that I think were candidly pretty awful. And uh, my wife and I had just seen the talented Mister Ripley, the Matt Damon movie. So as I'm going through all these terrible names, you know, the, you know, the Roto wizard, the, you know, the Roto czar, you know, and so my, my wife then goes, what about the talented Mr. Roto? And I'm like, hilarious, done, sold, brilliant. Cause it made me sound like an expert, but also not one that took himself. Cause it's so over the top, the talented Mr. Roto, like makes no sense. Like even when you really think about it. So, um, so that was the name. And by the way, uh, Arnie, like, this was to be a, a goofy column on the side that once, you know, that I write once a week. Never in a million years did I think, you know, 25 years later or whatever it is, I would be, you know, on TV, still, you know, making a career of it, the whole thing. This was just, I was going to be a writer, a sitcom writer, a movie writer. That's That was going to be my career. That's how I made my living. And I never thought this was anything more than just a goof, something to just, you know, because I was passionate about fantasy sports and I'm a writer and I thought it'd be fun to do. So um, there wasn't a lot of thought given to it other than I thought it was a funny sounding name that accomplished what I wanted. It made me sound like an expert, but one that didn't take himself too seriously because it's kind of it's goofy and over the top. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that little sports montage. We got to, you know, flash forward to now on NBC and everything. But did you ever get to write at Married with Children about Al Bundy and his famous Polkai four touchdown score? Or was that later in there? It was, uh, I never got to write, write on that particular episode, but we did make reference to, um, obviously his glory days. We did an episode when I was there with, um, uh, with James Brown. So at the time, uh, he was the, you know, the, 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 you know, he's now, he's now at CBS, but at the time he was the host of Fox. He was the, the host of the Fox NFL Sunday and we were on Fox. So we did it like a cameo thing with him where, um, Basically, he was a guest star, and I forget how we got them there, but for whatever reason, there was this this pie that that Al loved, and there was one last remaining pie that every thanks I think it was a Thanksgiving episode, and that there was this pie that Al got every single year from this woman in this shop that they absolutely loved this pie. It was this amazing pie that this woman made, and they find out that she's died, and so in true, but they find out there's one last remaining pie. The woman made her last pie. And the pie is going to be at her funeral. And um, they're going to celebrate with her pie. And so, of course, Al, being you know who he is, Al decides to, I think I remember this. I mean, this is almost 20 years ago. But I think the plot was something like Al was going to go to the funeral with Peg and steal the pie. In essence, we do a thing where um, uh, Al steals the pie. And we talk about the fact that you know he had played for Polk High. And everything like that. And so we, we sort of flash back to it. And in essence, Al takes the pie and everyone's getting up to stun him. And then, you know, he has to flash back to his Polk High days like a running back and plow through everyone to get the pie out of there. And he's, you know, he's doing it and he's holding it and he's stiff arming people. And, you know, he's running with the pie, you know, and like, you can't do this. I scored four touchdowns for Polk High. I can do it, you know, and everything. So uh, he does this. And ultimately, I think James Brown. It's his church that he goes to. So he's there at the church. And it might have been the character that died might have either been his mom or his aunt or a cousin or something. I forget how we connected it. But anyway, James Brown ends up saving the day, not to ruin the episode. But James <laughs> Brown ends up making the tackle to save the pie for everyone else instead of uh, instead of Al, I think. So we did reference it and, and it would come up in jokes all the time. But I never got to write that specific episode. It was... I joined the show after that particular episode, but we always had a lot of fun with that. Number 33, Polkai. Yeah, there you go. I mean, this, growing up, that was one of my staples as a, a show to watch as a kid and everything. And uh, I, I was curious. So did, okay, we're going to flash forward to your whole fantasy football career. But when you were a writer in Hollywood for, let's just use Married with Children, the production, like how does that go about um, – crafting these various stories to decide what story you're going to go with. And then how did that translate in your fantasy career? Oh, well, in terms of, you know, the, the process of, of a sitcom there, every show is slightly different, but in general on married with children, what, there was a right, what was called a writer's room. And, uh, you know, so there was probably like eight or nine of us that sat around a table and we'd pitch ideas. You just pitch ideas. 
What about this? What about that? What if Al does this? What if Peg does that? And you just sort of throw out ideas. And then somebody might say, um, uh, what about, uh, you know, like I think somebody said something like, okay, well, we have to do a Thanksgiving episode. And we're like, what can we do around Thanksgiving that hasn't been done? And where somebody else says, um, I said, like, I think I threw it. I said, well, you know what? The day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday. Like, and it's considered like the greatest shopping day of the year. I said, what if that's Peg's Super Bowl? You know what I mean? Like, and then somebody else said, oh, that's funny. What if she's got like a diorama of the mall? What if she's built an entire, like, and she's planned out, she's going to get there at 4 a.m. And she's got a whole, um, whole idea about, you know, a game plan. And then we, and then somebody else says, oh, and then what if what, you know, you know, Al doesn't want to go along. And so then you just start, everyone just sort of starts building on that idea and you have, you have what's called a showrunner and a showrunner will sit there and say like, I like that idea or I don't like that idea or whatever. And we'll sort of try to direct it. And ultimately the showrunner's decision to say, yes, we're doing that episode. No, we're not doing that episode. Or like, you know, Al says, this joke, Al says that joke, Two, you know, we need a joke for Al when he enters the room. Somebody will pitch one idea, somebody pitches another idea, and the showrunner will be like, that joke, that's the funny one, that one goes in the script. But generally speak, so that's in theory how it works, but I will tell you that in general, you sort of know. When you pitch something and you get a laugh from everyone in the room, you're like, it's, it sort of consensus goes, okay, oh, that's great, we got something here, let's try to, everyone try to pile on and, uh, you know, and, and pitch ideas. And so it's a really creative, collaborative process is how that goes. And in terms of how that influenced my fantasy football career, I think the, the biggest thing is, is here's what I would say is that I'm a big believer in play the hand you're dealt, whatever hand that is. And so being a writer specifically on married with children, but being a, a sitcom writer in Hollywood, what they did is that taught me a couple of different things. It taught me about structure and you're like structure. Who cares about structure, Barry? And I don't, I don't, Nothing exists without structure, like a, you know, from the simplest, you know, um, from the simplest joke of like, a, you know, the rule of three, right? The third is the funny thing, right? Is from the simplest, you know, of joke structure to story structure, of you set something up and then you pay it off later and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, the you know, whether it's storytelling or joke telling or combined, you can't do it without a structure, you can't do any of that without a structure. So I learned how to, how to structure stuff, how to, how to, you know, set something up and then pay it off later, how to, how to write a joke, how to, how to be tight with it, timing, how you, how you manipulate words, how you, how you choose your words, because some words are funnier than others. And, 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 uh, and, you know, how important storytelling is in comedy and, so I learned structure and, and, and joke telling. Uh, and I think that in terms of what made me stand out as an analyst, when I got into the world of fantasy football and I wrote my intros to love hate, which at the time, you know, some people have tried to do it now since then, but certainly at the time, you know, a lot of the fantasy football analysis was fairly, fairly dry, fairly stat heavy, really just, okay, here's who to start. Who's here to sit. And, you know, and then with my stuff is like 1500 words to 2000 words all about me before you ever get to a player, you know, which was really, you know, I got a lot of hate mail early on, um, on my style with people like, just shut up, just tell me who to start. You know, no one cares about you get to it. And so, but, you know, I'll tell you when people come up to me, uh, you know, and fans interact with me more often than not, what they reference is the opening story. I never get, I never get like, hey, thank you for Jalen Hurts last year. You know, thank you for making him your ride or die. Thank you for, you know, um, you know, thank you, thank you for whatever, for, you know, Garrett Wilson or, you know, whoever, you know, whatever sleeper I gave, you know, thank you for, you know, Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown and, you know, whatever, pick, pick a, a play that I, you know, that I got right. Um, it's never that. It's always, I love the story about meeting your wife or about your daughter breaking her arms or the bullying column or meet your father-in-law or, you know, um, 
you know, about your, you know, the one where your daughter wrote the column for you or whatever. Like there's, it's always different. That's the crazy thing. It's always a different story. It's never one that always comes up. It's always a different story. And it's always a personal story that I wrote. That's what they, they never mention a player. It's always that story that, you know, I really love your writing. I love your column. I, you know, I, I love your show, your podcast, your Sunday show, whatever. But, you know, what hooked me in was your, was your storytelling. And so that's, um, I think that's how it informed my career is that I was able to, you know, because, because I believe in, in terms of fantasy football content and analysis, that it's more or less the same. I think there are people that do it better than others. I think there are diff- there are people that have different approaches, but for the most part, we're all looking at the same players. We're all looking at the same stats and film. And you may like somebody and I may not like them, but the truth of the matter is, is you probably have the same opinion. You just make the difference is really more like, I think he's worth a third round pick and I have him as a fifth round. It's really the argue. The argument is almost always about value. Not never, you, it's rarely about the player. Sometimes you'll say like, I think he can play. Nah, I think he got lucky in the situation and he's going to fall off this year, whatever. But we're all looking at the same players and the same stats and it's a fairly limited pool. So how do you stand out? How do you do something different? How do you, how do you show what's your value proposition versus everyone else? And one of the value propositions that I made early on in my career that I decided, I said, you know, listen, I'm, I'm pretty good with stats, but there are people that are better than me, right? I'm not, I'm not Nate Silver. You know, and I'm, I'm pretty good with X's and O's, but I'm not Matt Bowen. I didn't play the game. You know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a guy that like, you know, or, or, you know, Dan Orlovsky or pick, you know, pick whoever your, you know, your favorite X and O person is. But, you know, I didn't play the game. I can't break down X's and O's the way former players can or some other people can. And you know what? I've, I have a decent amount of contacts, but I'm not Adam Schefter. You know, there's people that have deeper contacts than me. But what I can do better than anyone else in the world, the one thing that I know that I can do better than anyone else in the world is talk about myself. So let me lean into that. And so, you know, that was, that's what I did. And then in terms of writing about myself, becoming a good writer, like I learned, I honed a lot of those skills in those writer rooms where you learn how to, where you learn how to tell a joke, when you learn how to, you know, set up a structure you know, and have a beginning, middle and end. I mean, my stories are really well structured. You know, if you, if you did a deep dive on sort of my writing, you'll see that like I jump around a lot. There's different, like a, I I think I have really strong structure, I guess is what I would say. I think I've structured my art. Like before I, before I start an opening story, I know where I'm going. If that makes any sense. I understand the thread line, the through line of here's where I'm going to start. I know this is, here's a piece that I want to get in here. And I know this is, this is my end in my mind. I'm like, this is my hammer. This is where I'm going to, you know, bring it home. This is the line that I want to end on. And so as I'm writing it, sometimes I'll find different stuff and I'll move it around. And you know, the, the, the writing process, that's part of the journey, but I always sort of, I have a structure in mind. I have an outline before I start where I know where I'm going. If that makes any sense. No, it, it what what came to mind when you were describing that was so the 2000 Ravens, the organized chaos quotes, you know, like it seemed like sometimes they're all over the place, but they were organized. And sometimes, I mean, Matthew Barry's personality comes out and sometimes he seems chaotic, but it's all organized. And I think you infusing that really has set you apart. I can think back to. I don't want to butcher the date of 2008, 2009, whatever it was when I first figured out what this podcasting thing was. And I'm listening, you know, ESPN, Fantasy Focus. Well, it might have been called something back then different, but it's that show. It was Fantasy Focus. It was Fantasy Focus. So you're one of the first voices I ever heard when when this whole podcast thing was. And of course, like you said, it wasn't the stats. I could read that on the internet. It was the the, the relationship you had and then also the, the, the personality. So without getting into the details, we talked about this in the intro. Um, you're about to go beyond that, like your experiences there. Go ahead. Oh, um, about the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I just, the one thing I was going to say is, um, that when, again, sort of just trying to, you know, play the hand you're dealt and, and the skill set that you have and figuring out ways to differentiate yourself. I think one of the biggest things that I do, and I think one of the things that I do really well and what has helped me get to the level that I'm at is I think I'm really good at taking something fairly dry and uninteresting 
you know, or, or, you know, stat heavy, you know, and sort of hard to process. And I think I'm really good at sort of distilling it down into something that's easily digestible, understandable, and enjoyable to read, watch, listen, you know, just sort of like, I, I think I, I think I'm pretty good at that. And, uh, and I think there are others that are good at that too, that have, I think, followed in my footsteps that have sort of seen how I approached it. Because when I started, there was no one doing that. What I will say is uh, that when we started the podcast, I literally, this was sort of what I said, and I think there've been other podcasts that have, that have since taken on this, um, that have followed, like I said, really followed our, our footsteps and, and our attitude. But what I said was, I said, listen, this can't be nerds talking to nerds. It, what we need to do, as I said, this podcast should be a morning radio show. This should be a morning radio show that just happens to be about fantasy sports. But it, it can't be nerds talking to nerds. It can't be a fantasy sports podcast that we should do a morning radio show with all the trappings of a typical morning radio show. But what we're talking about is fantasy sports. So we're just, we're having, um, we're having those conversations and we're doing using all the trappings and tools of a typical morning radio show. It's just our language is fantasy sports. And so what that means is, is like everyone has a nickname and, and all the, and we talk about our personal lives and we have, you know, we have fun bets and we have nicknames for players and we have, you know, branded segments like, you know, you know, goofy things, whether it's like, you know, when we, we were doing baseball and football. So we were like, you know, Bonafide or Bonifacio because Emilio Bonifacio was, um, was, you know, kind of this flash in a pan, uh, who had like one great season of fantasy relevancy. So it was like Bonafide or Bonifacio. And so, um, those were, uh, those were some of the, uh, some of the things that we, you know, so we basically, basically tried to do a morning radio show and we made fun of the producer and that was a character. And, you know, we, and we referenced off, off, you know, off microphone things, you know, and like of our producer and we did, we did live events and we, you know, went out with a crowd and again, just all the typical things you see with a local radio morning DJ and successful morning radio show we did. We just happened to be just, you know, whenever we were talking, it happened to be about fantasy sports. And so, um, you know, whatever the, the closer carousel and, you know, fantasy zombies and just all the different things that we had, you know, kind of theater of the mind using sound effects and, and, uh, you know, listener calls and listener emails and interacting with the audience. So that was, that's what I was going to say is that we tried to differentiate ourselves, you know, that way. And I think, again, it really worked because the, the, at the time, a lot of the podcasts out there were very dry and it was kind of nerds talking to nerds. And, and we, we brought on energy and fun and laughter and, you know, gave each other shit and, you know, just, uh, uh, brought a, brought a different energy and, and fun to the format. Yeah. You pretty much just answered one of the questions I wanted to get at was about what time did it go from same kind of two questions, just nerds, you know, with fantasy football to, oh, this is like a worldwide phenomenon. And then yourself, like when you went from, Hey, what do you do for a living to now they're asking you for a fantasy advice? Was it pretty much after the podcast started or was it, did it take a while still for that to transpire for you? Yeah, it still took a little while to break through. Um, that was one of the big things that, you know, I talked about internally at ESPN. I would have these meetings. And at the time that I joined ESPN, we had less than a million people playing fantasy football with us at ESPN, whereas Yahoo was number one. They had over 5 million people. And so I was in a lot of these meetings early on where like, well, how do we steal, you know, how do we get those people from Yahoo over here? How do we get those people? How do we steal? And I remember saying to people, and I had a bunch of meetings about this and I had to do PowerPoints and it took me about a year to convince the powers that be. But I basically said, guys, look, I'll never say this publicly. I'll always promote ESPN. But the truth is Yahoo's a good product. Like it, it works. It's really hard. There's not a value proposition to say, leave Yahoo and come to ESPN because Yahoo is a good product. Most fantasy people are loyal. And at the time, Yahoo was charging $10 a, a person for their stat tracker to get live stats. So I said, listen, we can, we can make our stats free, like make it 100% free, and we'll get some people that don't want to pay the 10 bucks per person to Yahoo. Um, we'll get some people, but I think our better chance is instead of trying to figure out how we steal the 5 million people from Yahoo, and try to figure out how we get a bigger share of the pie. Why don't we just grow the pie? 
you know, we're ESPN. We have every single sports fan in America on one of our platforms, one way or the other. Like if you're a sports fan in America, you have to interact with ESPN. You can't avoid it. You know, there's just whether it's Monday Night Football or the college football playoffs or NBA, like there's just, there's too many things that are exclusive to ESPN that even if you hate ESPN, you have to watch ESPN for certain things. So I said, we have every sports fan in America on one of our platforms. So what do we, instead of trying to convince the people that already play fantasy at Yahoo to switch to us, why don't we just convince sports fans to play fantasy? Isn't that easier? Instead of trying to switch people to get them to change their league, let's just grow the pie and get sports fans that are already, that already like sports, explain to them what fantasy is and get them to come over to our platform. I said, I think we are better off doing that. And one of the ways we'll do that is right now people think fantasy football is this nerd niche thing, you know, the stereotype of the, you know, guy in his mom's basement playing in a tight black t-shirt, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I said, we need to make it cool. And by cool, I mean, we just need to make it something that guys do. You know, I mean, right now we can worry about, you know, trying to get, make it, you know, try to appeal to women. But right now, like the majority of the people that watch ESPN are men. So let's appeal to men. And we just need to make fantasy football one of those things that guys do. What do guys do? Uh, they go to Vegas. They like fast cars. They like action movies. They like pizza. They like beer. They all fill out a March Madness bracket. And oh, yeah, they draft a fantasy team. It's just something guys do. If you're a guy, hey, who's your, what's on your fantasy team? It's just got to be something guys do. And there's a lot of different things that went into how do we make it that. And like, and so part of it was in terms of how we presented it. Part of it was how I presented it. Like, hey, again, I sort of made my stuff very mainstream. I'm a big believer in everyone under the tent. And, and so, and I think that's one of the mistakes a lot of content creators make, uh, especially in DFS and sports betting now. But it's that they, they, they talk down to their audience. You know, like I see it, you see it a lot now in, in DFS and sports betting content, you know, oh, that's not a plus EV play. And, you know, my algorithm says this. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I think the ownership percentage is 20 is 23. So that's too high for a GPP, you know, blah, 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 or whatever, you know, they're saying. And I think people at home are like, I, I don't understand this nerd talk, man. I just, I think the Ravens kill him. How do I put 10 bucks on the Ravens killing him? Like, I really think the majority of sports fans are that. Or, hey, I want to try out DraftKings. I don't have a spreadsheet. I don't have an algorithm. I don't even know what a GPP means or what, you know, ownership percentage or late swap. I don't understand any of that. I just think, I just think the Ravens kill him. And I think Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews are going to have a big game. So how do I just play those two guys? And just, I think we don't, as an industry, I don't think we do a good enough job of, of saying like, okay, well, what you're talking about is you want to stack Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. And the reason that makes sense is because of the, you know, the potential that if they connect, that's kind of double points. And if you think that's a high scoring game against the Bengals, you might want to bring it back with Jamar Chase or what, you know what I mean? And just sort of explaining the theory behind all that stuff. Instead, they just use all these, you know, they use words to make themselves sound smart. And I think that one of the appeals that I have is that I don't sound smart, right? That I, I, you know, like I very purposely try to be a man of the people. I'll give you two examples that I, one is ESPN used to do a, um, a, they did a, they told me once they did a study on me. They did a brand study for a bunch of, uh, uh, a, a bunch of personalities. And like, you know, how do you think of this person? How do you think of this person? And they told me that when they, when the research came back on me, that it didn't come back that they thought I was the smartest, that they thought I was the most knowledgeable, that, that they thought, you know, this or that. But what I did come back, I scored the highest of any ESPN personality in this one category. He seems like he'd be a fun guy to have a beer with. Seems like he'd be a good guy to have, grab a beer with. And I took that as a massive compliment. I'm like, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I don't, my analysis, I don't think, I try very hard at this, isn't me coming down from Mount Sinai talking down to the fantasy plebeians. I feel like it's just like, all right, hey, we're all in this together. You know what I mean? And like, hey, we're trying to figure this out together. And here's what I think. And here's why I think it. Um, and I'll never forget this. 
I remember reading an interview with Huey Lewis in the News. If you remember that, you remember the group Huey Lewis in the News? I, I know. Uh, maybe not. You're probably younger than me. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. They're, they were a big group in the 80s. They sang a song called Power of Love, Want a New Drug, Hip to Be Square. Anyway, they had a number of hits in the 80s. But the point is, is about Huey Lewis in the News is that they asked Huey Lewis about his success. And he just said, he said, you know, listen, we're not the best band in the world. He goes, we're not the best band in the world. He goes, you know, we're, we're a bar band that made it. I think that's our, you know, uh, we're a bar band that made it. That's what I think our appeal is that, you know, that people, you know, that we remind people of like a, you know, you go down to your bar on Friday night and you hear a good band that's, you know, playing cover songs and you like it. Like that's us. We're hardworking musicians. We're good at what we do. You know, no one's saying we're Springsteen, but we're like, you know, hardworking, good musicians. We're a bar band that made it. And so I've always felt like I, that resonated with me a lot. And I always thought like, I feel like I'm a fantasy player that made it. I mean, make no mistake. You know, I think I'm really good at what I do. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that agree with that statement, but I, I feel like my attitude has always been, and I've tried to present myself this way as, 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 you know, I don't think I'm smarter than everyone else. I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't think I'm the greatest fantasy analyst alive. I think, I think I'm a fantasy player that made it. That's what I think. I think I'm one of us, you know, like, you know, and I, that's, that's always sort of been my, my approach and my mentality. And so to get back to your original question in terms of, I think that was somewhere along the way, I want to say probably 2015, maybe. 2014, 2015, that I feel like that's where it went from. And after I'd been at ESPN for a number of years and we kept making it about this is something guys do. This is something mainstream. It's not niche. We got all the sports center anchors playing it. We got it mentioned on fantasy on Monday night football. We started our own shoulder program, but we also integrated into other programming. We, we started the war room league. And so we got guys like, you know, uh, Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen and, you know, Teddy Bruschi and Matt Hasselbeck. And we got, we got NFL players. We got NFL players, former NFL players talking about their fantasy teams on air. And we just made it something that guys did. And so, yes, you're right. When I started, I went to a party. What do you do? Have you ever heard of fantasy football? No. What is that? To now, hey, can I get a picture with you and show you my team? That's what happens when I walk to a party now. That kind of leads me into something I did want to talk about. You know, like you said, you're you're at a party now, and someone wants to take a picture and show you their fantasy team. W without going into the detail, the how cool was that to be part of Avengers Endgame? Right? <laughs> it was amazing. It was, uh, it, you know, it's 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 probably the best non kid, non wife experience of my life professionally, you know, it's certainly uh top three, you know, I would say it's a bucket list moment, but, um, how do you put that on your bucket list, right? A bucket list is, you know, the things I want to do before I kick the bucket, right? You know, I want to, want to climb count, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, I want to jump out of an airplane. I want to like, who says, you know, before I kick the bucket, I'd like to be in the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. Hey, you know, before I die, I'd like to, I'd like to be in a scene with Robert Downey Jr. I'd like to be part of the MCU. Like you can't, you know, you can't wish that, like it just doesn't happen. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was incredible, you know, and what made it the experience so amazing for me, Arnie, is that the, you know, that because of the popularity of fantasy football, because of the, the platform that's been afforded me by, you know, first ESPN and now NBC sports, I've been really lucky and I've gotten to, you know, I've gotten to be invited and do a lot of different things. I've gotten to know a lot of celebrities and athletes and I've gotten, you know, some really cool experiences. And so like, there have been times where it's like, you know, a musician, um, uh, has reached out and been like, Oh, I'm a fan. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, I appreciate that. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I liked this person's music. You know what I mean? Like, not that I don't like it, but it's just like, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to make it like, you know, somebody who's like huge in techno and I'm like, I just don't listen to techno music. Like, I'm sure like there are people that would like freak out that, you know, I know this person, but I just like, I just don't, I just never so you know, and so, um, uh, so there's just, there's been situations like that where I've met quote unquote important people and, but it just hasn't, you know, um, you know, whatever, right. You know, there's, 
you know, there's a number of, uh, you know, I, I, I'll give you an example. Um, and this is where I'm going to get with, but like I went to a bar, I was at a bar watching a, I was at a conference in New York City and me and a couple of people that spoke at the conference went out to a bar, a sports bar to watch the Thursday night football game. It was on a Thursday night. There was this past fall and at the bar were a bunch of the mighty ducks or the Anaheim ducks, the hockey team. They were in town because they had a preseason game the next night against the Rangers. And like a couple of guys on the team recognized me. And they're like, hey, and we got a team of, you know, the, and I'm like, oh, awesome. Thanks, guys. You know, and they're like, ah, you know, like, ever want to come to a game and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, eh, like, I'm not a hockey guy. Like, you know, like I've gone to a handful of games. They're always fun. But like, I don't know. I can't imagine when I'm ever going to be in Anaheim and, you know, whatever. And so they're all, they're all really nice guys. And I took a bunch of photos and they told me about their league and, Whatever I gave, you know, I did a video giving one of the guys in the league crap and it wasn't there and whatever, but it was sort of like, okay, right? So the reason I tell that story, Arnie, is that I've had a lot of opportunities like that where something cool has come up, but it's just like, it's not meaningful to me just because of my own personal interest or because of where I live or whatever. Avenger, like I'm a massive fan of the MCU. I'm a massive fan of the MCU. I, I watch everything and everything. I love the MCU. And Joe Russo, just as a, you know, I've become friends with Joe Russo, the director, which is how I got into that, uh, into the movie. It's just the loveliest guy. He's just the sweetest guy in the world and just a dear friend of mine, somebody I truly love. Just, I love that man. And so, you know, being an event, being in any movie is cool. Being in a movie that successful, obviously, is super cool. But for me personally, who is already just a massive fan of the MCU, of the Avengers, of Robert Downey Jr., of Chris Hemsworth, of the Russo brothers, of, you know, everything they've directed, for me to then, like, get to experience that was just mind-blowing, you know, just because it is literally one of my favorite things in the world, uh, is the MCU. I, like, I watch it religiously. I rewatch the movies over and over, you know, so it's, um, uh, so that was, you know, indescribable in terms of, uh, like I said, one of, if not the best non-kid, non-wife moment of my life. Talk about the coolest moment when he turns around and he goes, Avengers, assemble, you know, <laughs> the tears in the eyes and stuff at the theater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just goosebumps, right? Because I hadn't seen – here's what I'll tell you. The, the, you're so shrouded in secrecy. They shot Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back. And just to give you an idea of how far in advance they do stuff, the day – the um, I remember this distinctly. The week that I filmed my scenes in Avengers Endgame was the week the weekend before – was when Thor Ragnarok had come out in theaters. Just to give you an idea, so so after Ragnarok, you had Ant Man and the Wasp, you had Avengers, uh, you had Captain Marvel, you had uh, Avengers. Infin- I'm trying to think of the exact order, but but before Avengers Endgame, I know that uh, Ant Man and the Wa- uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Avengers Infinity War, and Captain Marvel all came out. Before Endgame, so I think that was the order. I think that I think it went Ant Man, Ant Man and the Wasp, then Infinity War, then Captain Marvel, then Endgame. So there were still three movies to be shot or released to the public before we ever got to Endgame, and so there were still references in the you know, and so it was all secretive. When I got there, I only got the two pages of the the, the only the two pages of the scene that I'm in. That's it. And I wasn't given those scenes until I got to set. Like it wasn't sent to me or emailed to me or anything like that. And I wasn't told the rest of the plot. I know nothing else other than those two scenes. And so again, Infinity War hasn't come out. I have no idea about the gauntlet, that the Infinity Stones have been stolen, that what we're trying to do is that that my scene, I figured my scene was some sort of a um, flashback or a time travel thing because we're in Stark Tower. Right, which you know obviously got destroyed, and um, and I'm in a scene with Alexander Pierce. So um, you know, so I know I've done some own, but like they don't tell you. They're like, hey, just so you know, you know, here's what's going on, and Tony's bringing down the Tesseract, and blah blah. Like they don't tell you that. They're just like, here's what we need you to do. And so, um, and it, it was it was over two years until I got to see it all put together, and all I knew was my two pages. I didn't know where in the scene, I didn't know where in the movie it was coming. I didn't, I knew nothing about how it connected to anywhere else, but just that. And so, um, in the theater, like that was just a goosebump moment, you know, when, when, uh, when Cap, uh, 
you know, you know, bloodied and and uh, and beaten, and it looks like he's the last guy remaining against Thanos and his army, and he's going to just do it with half a shield and you know his his uniform ripped off, and then all of a sudden here they come through the portal, and uh, he's suddenly got an army behind him, and he says, you know, Avengers assemble like for the first time in 10 years right you know it's um uh and then they all just got like it's a goosebump mo- it's a literally a goosebump moment like i i just got goosebumps doing it again myself like it's just, you know it's crazy like I, i'll watch that clip at least you know five times a year it's just it's an amazing amazing moment and it's a credit to all the actors and the writers and the russo brothers for a, you know it's hard for a movie to live up to the kind of hype that it needed to after 20 some odd movies in a decade of filmmaking and that movie did i mean you know i just the, the russo brothers and the writers of that movie marcus and mcfeely truly brilliant yeah i mean i can't relate directly but yeah i mean the mcu is the same thing i watch it all over the time and i just emphatic with it so as we start to get closer here there was a game i wanted to play we'll call it like the gauntlet or something with the six infinity stones take your I don't know, some people you worked with as far as analysts, we're going to create the perfect fantasy analyst and like they're, you know, like in football, you get, you know, this guy's vision. Give me, give me your perfect analyst. Well, what are you, what are you looking for? Because the truth of the matter, listen, I, the, the fact is, here's, the, here's what I will tell you. Here's what I will tell you is that at NBC, I think we've got a really great team. Like I love Denny Carter. I think Pat Doherty, Roto Pat, I think he does a really strong go- uh, job. Lawrence Jackson, Lord Don't Lose. One of my favorite people on the planet. Um, uh, you know, and in terms of my show, Fantasy Football Happy Hour, Jay Croucher and Connor Rogers, uh, they aren't pure fantasy analysts. You know, Connor comes from more of a, um, X's and O's background. He was the lead, uh, draft analyst for Bleach Report for seven years. Jay Croucher led the, uh, you know, the trading desk at a major casino for five years. So he's more of a sports betting guy, but they're both, an- you know, Connor's more X's and O's. Uh, Jay is more analytics, uh, but they're great as well. They do a good job. You know, you talk about my former uh, place of employment, ESPN. Nothing bad to say about any of them. Mike Clay, Field, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, you know, all three very dear friends of mine. They all do a great job. I think all the other people there as well are, are super strong. Daniel Dopp is, you know, a dear friend of mine, does a great job. Like, so nothing bad to say about any of the ESPN people. They all do a really good job. They all, they're all different in their expertise. You know, when it comes to, you know, listen, Mike Clay's the guy that invented wide receiver cornerback matchup. Like Mike Clay's as good as they, as good as it gets. When it comes to injuries, I still to this day will text Stefania before I text anyone else. Like she is, she is, she invented that genre, you know, uh, you know, in terms of what I'm building at fantasy life. I mean, you, you want to talk about who do I like? Look at where I put my money. Um, you know, like I, you know, the, what we're building at fantasy life and fantasylife.com, I'm really proud of, right? You know, with, um, with Peter Overzet, with Kendall Valenzuela, with Dwayne McFarland, with Ian Harditz, you know, we just hired Ian and they're all great. You know, I mean, so that's where, I mean, this is, that's a company that like I've put my own personal money into, my name's on it. Uh, I'm, we're raising money for it. We were, we were cash flow positive and profitable this past year. Or so, you know, I, and I own the majority of the company. So I could, you know, we made, we made nice money this year and I could have taken that money already out of the company and put it into my own pocket, but I put it back into the company. And we're now, like I said, we're, we're raising money from investors, but so far all the money we've spent has been, you know, we, we've earned, the company has earned through advertisement and deals that we have with various companies like Sirius XM and Amazon. And so, so in essence, I'm using my money to hire people. And I'm, you know, we've hired P- Peter, Peter Overzet, Kendall Valenzuela, Dwayne McFarlane, and Ian Harditz are all full-time employees of Fantasy Life. And, um, you know, obviously I think the world of all of them. So, you know, that's, if you want to know who do I like, you know, look at where I spent my money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you just described it the way I could have. And with a listener of the show can find you if they want to find more of your work, your current employer, or anything else you want to give to them. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, obviously, obviously, everything we're doing over at NBC Sports Edge, RotorWorld.com. You can follow me on uh, social media at Matthew Barry TMR on all forms of social media, except the Fantasy Life app, where I'm merely at Matthew Barry. Um, if you want premium fantasy content, I'd suggest checking out RotoPass.com. Again, you talk about sort of 
uh, who do I like and who do I um, who do I gravitate to? Look at again who I'm in business with, who I pay money to. So at RotoPass, we're in business with football guys and and you know RotoViz and Four for Four and Dynasty League football, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And and over at FantasyLife.com, it's 100 percent free. The newsletter that we do every day is free. All the tools on FantasyLife.com, 100 percent free. Uh, Dwayne McFarland, Ian Harditz. Kendall Valenzuela, Peter Overzet. We've got some contributors as well. We do a podcast with Marcus Grant from NFL Network. He does a great job for us as well. Cooter Doodle, love me some Cooter. Um, she does some stuff for us as well. We have a, you know, Sam Wallace. We, we have a number of contributors. Uh, Waz does our rankings. Uh, Rob Waziak, Waz NFL on Twitter does a great job. And so, uh, just, you know, again, sort of if, if you want to know who I like, Look at who I pay money to. Look at who I put my name behind. Look at who I promote. There you go. Matthew Barry, the talented Mr. Roto, an unlikely hero in the fantasy sports industry. Once destined to become a legendary Hollywood writer, or maybe just another starving entertainment contributor, to becoming arguably the most influential person in fantasy sports of all time. We skipped over quite a bit of his career, but because, you know what, there's no way to cover all of it. If you are interested in some of the details, you can still pick up his book that he launched, I think it was back in 2013, called My Fantasy Life. Or head to any number of places to catch Matthew's work. You surely will not be disappointed. And to learn more about this show and our other guests, head over to FantasyFootballOriginStories.com. That's FantasyFootballOriginStories.com. And don't forget to mash that little subscribe or follow button in your podcast player choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes, well, each and every week. And speaking of new episodes, next week we'll chat with a guy that by day is a curer of your back pains. To at night, a curator of fantasy football content, Dr. Kevin Murray. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fantasy Football Origin Stories. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please make sure to mash that little subscribe or follow button on your podcast player of choice, then head over to the website for the show notes and more fantasy football origin stories. That's at fantasyfootballoriginstories.com. And remember dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>